Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 111. We're going to be talking with Jean Chatsky. We're very excited about this today. She is the author of Women with Money, the Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes Rich Life You Deserve. She's also the author of several other books, including Money Rules, Pay It Down. Um, she hosts a wonderful podcast called Her Money. So we hope you'll be checking that out. I think we're really you're really gonna like the advice. This is not about, you know, saving five cents on cereal. This is about taking your money seriously as a professional woman who has big goals in life. Sarah, you've been thinking more about your financial goals of late, right? Yes. And it's funny. I, I do comment later in the episode that I am obsessed with the fire movement, but I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. We are, we're not fire people. I just you think financial the, independence, yes. retire early. Yeah. Yes. I just think the ideas are really intriguing. And, you know, I just sort of, I'm 39 years old and I've been in the, I've had a real job for only six years. So that's, you know, as I'm listening to our guest, I'm realizing like physicians do have kind of a 
different experience because it's not like I had this big margin to save since I was a college graduate at age 22. Like it, it's a much different scenario, but I still feel like had I read some of the stuff earlier, I might've made some different choices maybe six years ago. Yeah. Well, like what though? I mean, I'm curious. What what are the, the different well, you know, choices? We're still trying to sell our house. I'm not sure we would have purchased that house. I love that house. And you know what? Maybe by the time this airs, it will have sold. But we chose a neighborhood that's beautiful, but we were probably one of the more poor members of that community, which then, you know, leads you to certain choices. I don't know. I guess you're right. There's not a lot of things. I don't regret vacations we've taken. I may be my, well, no, it's hard. It's, and it's, it's not necessarily uh, stuff that I would put on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. But, but yeah, I, I just, um, I just sort of wish I had come into some of that before. So if you are early in your career, you might want to check out some of these resources, not to necessarily become a fire person, but just to kind of get the ideas percolating and think more about longer term investments and longer term planning and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, so I did not go to medical school and do a residency. So I've, you know, been working since I was 22 or so. And, uh, the, of course, earning less than than I am now, but I was always into saving, um, especially as somebody who worked for herself. It was very important to me to build up assets so that I had a lot more control over the situation, which is which is sort of an interesting thing because a lot of jobs aren't secure either. So, but yeah, people have a different mindset if they know they'll get a paycheck every two weeks or every month, and you don't have that luxury necessarily as a freelancer. And so I made sure to have money put away. Um, I was probably doing something that our, our guest talks about later of like not investing it for, for certain chunks of time. But the good news here is that I met my husband quite young and he's very good about investing and um, sort of not going for crazy stuff, but the, the long-term safe investments to you know optimize kind of the responsible growth uh, and so he was able to share that with me. And so by about, you know, age 25, I was definitely investing and that's been, been helpful. And now I'm, now I'm getting more creative with it. I uh, talk a little bit about in, in another episode that I've been getting into um, angel investing, which has been fun. You know, that that's when, when money starts becoming a source of excitement as you get involved in companies in early stages, but certainly, you know, goals like making sure you're on track for retirement and all that should, should come first. The one thing I have to say, because we, we've gone back and forth on the, the fire movement and the retire early sort of stuff, I, there's, there's sort of a negative aspect about work in some of this literature, right? I mean, do you, Agree. you pick that up? Agree. Oh, absolutely. And there's this weird, so there's this sort of physician fire movement, which is very interesting. And I think a lot of that speaks to the fact that a lot of, there is a high degree of burnout in a lot of professions related to just excess loads and documentation and less autonomy and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, yes, there's a negativity. I, th- I think the way I see it, and I have noticed that many people who are, quote, FI are continuing to work or they're doing a side project, but it's about not being reliant on a sort of corporate paycheck, not being tied to a specific earning level or specific thing. And I mean, it's kind of a sad testament to the way some industries have evolved. And I, I think that hopefully it will, you know, if people do leave, that's going to 
change the market a little bit, right? I mean, maybe hospitals will put more energy into making people not want to make those choices if, if more people do. I think it's a reality, though. I mean, I, I don't think we can deny it. Some people are and some companies don't treat their employees well, or you just feel like you don't have enough autonomy in your day to day life. And that can be hard. And I'm not speaking as I mean, I really love my job. I feel lucky to have been able to craft it in the way that has worked for me. And I work at a wonderful place, but I hear stories of other people where it's not like that. And then I can see why you would want to be able to say, well, I'm here now, but I know that my end date is in three years. And at that point I can stay if I want or leave if I want. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I always am bumping up against and uh, you and I are both in marriages where our husbands are in jobs where the sort of expectation for a lot of people in those jobs is that their spouse would not be working for pay or would be doing so on a very, very limited basis. Like it's optional or it's something. It's very optional. And and that's, you know, lovely in the sense of they they have good, secure jobs that earn decent money. But because of that, I mean, I feel like I have received a lot of messaging over the years of like, why on earth are you doing this? Right? Um, like, why are you bothering to work to, you know, don't you feel so guilty that you're not with your kids 100% of the time when you don't have to? And I, of course, really hate that messaging because I feel like, you know, yeah, I have great things to offer my kids and I have great things to offer the rest of the world as well. And I want to do both of those things, hence the whole best of both worlds. And so, you know, I, whenever there's this whole negative messaging about work, I think I have a really bad reaction to it. So, you know, sure, I don't have to work. I love working and I'm thrilled to continue to do so. And so that's kind of the message we're trying to give to our children. I actually, both my husband and I will say, you know, it's, it's not about that we have to go to work. It's that we both have things we feel like we can do for the world that we would like to do. And we're also spending a lot of time with family as well. So there isn't a conflict here that we need to, to justify. So I, I'm, I guess I'm into the whole financial independence in the sense of, yes, I think it's great to build up wealth and I've made a point of doing so. On the other hand, I don't think that getting out of working is necessarily the... A great end goal. A great end goal. It's to be spending your time on meaningful things. And many of those meaningful things can be financially remunerative, right? And that's that's awesome too. No, and I think those are all, I, I think that that those are very fair points. And I too bristle whenever I ever get the implication. Although I don't, I don't feel like I do. Maybe, maybe medicine is just not as, you know. Well, it's because you have a, you have a real job, Sarah. <laughs> I think that's <Okay>. partly. <laughs> like nobody's going to, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's obvious what you are, you know, the, the contribution you're making in the world that you have a useful skill that you're doing. And so, so I think there's some less of that, although there probably still is like, why are you bothering? Your husband's a doctor. <laughs> I mean, aren't you supposed to not work because your husband's a doctor? And maybe there's something to be said for like, there's not, there is certainly a salary differential between the two of us, but it's not like a 10x differential or something like that. I think that might raise people's eyebrows a little bit more, but should it? I mean, if I was a teacher and loved my job and was like kicking butt in the classroom and enjoying it and finding growth and, you know, maybe doing a fun podcast on the side, like I would hope that I would be encouraged to to keep doing to that keep as well. Doing that as well. Yeah. So, you know, we we come at this from the perspective that that work can be a really awesome thing too, but you know, wealth is awesome too. And these two things are are not at odds. And 
fact, lead to each other because as you work, you can build up more assets, which you know gives you uh, wonderful options in life. One of the options may be not to work, but there's also other options such as doing great travel, having more investment goals, um, you know, such funding as funding your kids' educations fund, if you want funding to. Funding the kids' education, excellent philanthropy ideas. So all good stuff. All right. Well, let's bring this over to Jean Chatsky. And this is going to be a great interview. So excited to bring this to you guys. Well, Sarah and I are very excited to bring in Jean Chatsky to the podcast. I first learned about Jean a great many years ago when she was one of the experts on the Oprah debt diet uh, segment. There was a whole series where they did financial makeovers for a handful of families who were in debt and trying to get out of it. Jean uh, did a wonderful you know, makeover of a family, although there were some rough parts. I think my favorite part of the whole thing was when she was arguing with her that particular lady about getting her hair done in the beauty parlor. That was really some excellent TV, uh, which has stuck with many <laughs> me all these years. But anyway, Jean, we are so happy to have you here. Could you quickly introduce yourself for our guests? Um, sure. I'm Jean Chatsky. I think most of your listeners will probably know me either from that series on Oprah or from the Today Show where I've been their financial editor for many years. Or and your got, podcast, because we got, have some avid podcast listeners. Yeah, a podcast of my own. Laura has been a guest. It's called Her Money, and it's a weekly conversation on all things life and money for women of all ages. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and Jean, you know, really tries to, very successfully, tries to make financial information accessible to people and to explain it in a way that we can all understand. And one of the things she talks about, in particular on her website, she has five things that people need to do to manage their money successfully. And the first, no surprise, is to earn a decent living. Uh, can you talk about this, why this is particularly important for women to keep in mind as something to do to be successful with money? A absolutely. I think, granted, there are women in the workforce and out of the workforce at home taking care of kids and families, but the household needs to have a decent income. And when I say decent, that's a really intentionally chosen word. It's not necessarily important to have a lavish income. There's a lot of research on money and happiness. And what we know is that once you have once you have enough to live comfortably, more money doesn't really buy you more happiness. And comfortably is you can pay your rent or your mortgage. You can drive a safe car back and forth to work. You can go out to dinner. You can take a vacation once in a while. Beyond that, uh, more money is, is not always additive to people's happiness. So that's, that's just something to keep in mind. And yeah, as you were saying, these five things are up on, on the Her Money website for people who are looking to refer back to them. Yeah. And, and the bulk of our listeners are in sort of professional jobs. But what we found is interesting. Many have this narrative going through the back of their brains somewhere that their paid work is possibly a detriment to their family, right? That men kind of grow up with this narrative that, well, my job is a main way I contribute to my family, right? This is what I am expected to do. And I think a lot of women still have this sense that, you know, the job with a decent income is, is more optional. I mean, are there ways to kind of counter this money narrative that many women grow up with? 
I, yeah, I really think it's changing over time. I think as we have more and more women who are the primary breadwinners for their families, and, and that number is, boy, it's growing every single year. I think it's about 40% of women are now the primary breadwinner in their families. And if you add to those the number of women who are the only wage earner who are running single parent households, you get to well into the 60% range. It, it's just a fact of life that most families these days need two incomes. And what I've found, and I think it's been a, a really positive development, is that for many women, once we are earning money, we feel better able to say, this is mine to manage. And, and that's a really important thing to do just because so many of us will be alone at some point and forced to manage our money by ourselves. And it's really nice to know how to do that before you're under tremendous pressure and tremendous strain. We we notice sometimes um, that there's this temptation to subtract childcare costs out of the the female earner's salary and sort of do this calculation. Well, my nanny is this much money and I only earn this much. And, you know, on our podcast, we make an effort to remember that that really comes out of the entire family budget. Yeah. yeah. And not only does it come out of the entire family budget, but the one thing that gets missed in that calculation is the value of those years spent in the workforce. So when we, when we see parents, men or women, when we see people taking a step back from the workforce to stay home and care for kids, often when, or, or older parents, which is happening more and more and more, often when they get back into the workforce, they find they're not able to re-enter at the same level of salary and the same level of seniority where they left. And for that reason, you know, if you're doing that calculus where you're saying, well, I'm not earning so much more than the cost of a caregiver, so why even bother staying in the workforce? Or it's costing me as much as I'm earning to care for my older parents, so why should I not stop and do it myself? The, the answer is that when you give up those years of experience, that's a loss that you can't get back. It's a long game. Mm -hmm. Hey, listeners. Every parent wants their child to get better grades and higher test scores, but that's not always easy. My solution is Varsity Tutors. Before Varsity Tutors, you only had a few options, like selecting a tutor based on random recommendations or spending a small fortune at a local tutoring center, hoping for the best. The truth is that if you really want to ensure the confidence and educational success of your child, Varsity Tutors is the best option around. Jasper, my seventh grader, is a great student, but he really wanted to take his writing to the next level. So he decided to try out Varsity Tutors, and he met with his reading and writing tutor online. And he enjoyed it so much that he's told me he's really looking forward to the next session. Whether it's in person or online, Varsity Tutors connects students with expert instructors in anything from phonics to SAT prep to college courses. Varsity Tutors has a rigorous tutor vetting process that ensures your child is working with the best. Jasper was able to share his work in real time with his tutor so they could make the best use of their time. Even if your kid gets good grades, there's always room to improve. So to receive up to $250 and a free consultation with an education director, go to varsitytutors.com slash best of. That's varsitytutors.com slash best of for $250 off. 
Give your child the confidence and keys to success today at varsitytutors.com slash best of. And listeners, we also want to tell you about better help. We know you're busy, but is there something that's interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient for people who are working and raising families, but want to prioritize their mental health. You can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. They have licensed professional counselors who specialize in anything you might want to talk about, depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, anger, family conflicts. Anything you share is completely confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. And best of all, it's truly an affordable option. Best of Both Worlds podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code BESTOF, B-E-S-T-O-F. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash bestof. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash bestof. What are some good money goals for the women who are probably listening to this podcast? From what we found, the, the bulk of our listeners are probably between about 30 and 50 years old. So kind of in those peak earning years, um, not at retirement yet, probably m- most, you know, kids may be approaching college, but maybe not quite there yet. Um, what, are, what are the goals that we should have uh, who are in this demographic? And feel free to use numbers. I feel like people shy away from numbers and they're vague. Yeah. No, I, I'm happy to go to numbers, but let me, before I get to numbers, sort of get to uh, the most important things to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I, when I was writing my last book, which is called Women with Money, and it is really aimed exactly at your listenership. It's, it's for, women who are past the point of, of struggling, who are really, you know, we have money, we're trying to figure out how to use it to create the lives that we want. I asked hundreds of women the question, what do you want from your money? Because we should be thinking about this in a conscious way rather than just going through life and, and spending and letting it happen to us. And, and what I heard off the top almost every single time was, I want safety. I want security. I want stability. I want savings as in cash in the bank. And the problem with this is that that need, and I don't think it's a want. I really do think it's a need for safety and security actually gets in the way of financial stability. And we can see this in, in research. Women tend to keep a greater percentage of our money in cash than men do. Um, Fidelity did a study where they found that above and beyond emergency cushions, uh, women were keeping $20,000 or more just in cash in the bank. And when you look at how much money we're earning on that cash right now, you know, on average, right, one-tenth of 1%. Basically nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah, it's nothing. And so one money goal is to start getting more involved with and paying attention to your investments. Um, start getting more comfortable with your investments. It's not an area that a lot of people identify with, that a lot of women identify with. 
often when I, when I go and I um, am giving a talk to a large group of women, I'll ask for a show of hands, how many of you are investors? And I'll see maybe a quarter to a third of the hands go up and they all go up very tentatively. And then I'll ask, and how many of you have 401ks? And every hand shoots up. And, and that's the disconnect. You know, when you have a 401k, you have an IRA, you have a retirement account that you're actively contributing to, you are an investor. You just don't feel like one. Because in our minds, investors look like Jim Cramer. They're, they're <laughs> right. They're screaming at the television they sound set. sound like him too. That's the yeah, word. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. They're, they're, but those are traders and it's a very different thing. You don't have to be a trader to be a successful investor. In fact, one of the reasons that women statistically are better investors than men is because we don't trade, because we're not meddling every single day. We're actually buying things, letting the markets do their work and, and, and ignoring and them. Playing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good, which is really, really good, by the way. I mean, it's good to be boring. Yeah. Um, just so, lose the passwords for your account for a while. Yeah, and just, exactly. Uh, let it go. Let it go. So I would say, you know, pay a little more attention to your investments. Um, you asked for metrics. So I'll give you the yes. metrics that I actually use, although I've gotten flamed on Twitter occasionally for putting these out there. But when we are thinking about how we're charting for retirement, which is the biggest goal that most of us have, um, by age 30, you want to aim to have one times your annual income put away for your own retirement. By 40, three times. By 56 times. By 68 times. And by the time you actually retire, 10 times. Now, Ooh. if you have a traditional pension and about, I don't know, 15% of people in this country still have a pension, you can take those numbers down by the amount that the pension will cover. But yeah, no, those are some, those are some, some goals that we should work on hitting. And if you're saving about 15% of whatever it is you're earning every year, and that can include matching dollars from an employer, uh, you'll get there. Yeah. I'm curious why you think you got flamed for that. I mean, what were, oh, were people? <laughs> people were, I mean, it, it was uh, the first time I put them out there, the Washington Post wrote about it. I got so many com comments. It, um, people thought they were ridiculous. You know, because people, it was too high or was too, too low? high. Okay. When you say that many times your income, so not that many times your expenses, because those are two different numbers. Okay. So right? when you're talking <laughs> expenses, yeah, two different numbers. And you can use expenses to calculate and benchmark as well. The I don't know if you guys have done a show on the FIRE movement. Um, no, but I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah. So, so the FIRE movement stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And people who are in the fire movement actually do calculate based on expenses. And their math says as when, once you have accumulated 25 times your annual expenses, then you are financially free and you don't have to work in the job that you don't want to work in anymore. A lot of people, you know, it, interestingly, a lot of fire proponents still work. They just don't work in the they job. They don't want to have to work. They, exactly. And 25 is because people are working that on a pulling 4% out of your yes, assets exactly. annually. And that's sort of what people assume you could replace in terms of annual growth then or that so you won't run out of money. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that 4% is a, is a decent benchmark. It, it works, 
sometimes you have to be willing to let it be a sliding 4%. You can't, if the markets are down and, and your portfolio is down, you have to pull 4% of a smaller bucket. But I guess I am surprised that your calculations are based on income and not how you're actually living. Cause I would think that part of the equation's very important. I mean, I'm speaking as someone who's a physician and like my newest thing is like, I'm like, I want to live more like a resident, you know what I mean? Cause then you can retire a lot sooner. (laughs) No, I think, I think they're, I think they're both really important. Income is the number that a lot of, that more people have a handle on. Yeah. Okay. um, Especially at looking out into the future. That makes sense. I mean, and Gene, honestly, I would have, I'm not a flamer, but I would have flamed these numbers as being low. So, so um, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So we're, we're, we're all, uh, we all have different perspectives on this. So, so you guys all heard those numbers from Gene, you know, one, one time salary at 30, you know, three times salary at 40. That's probably pretty reasonable for most people to aim for. If you said, you know, 15% uh, that you're, you're saving roughly. But of course, the key is you can't just put the 15% in a piggy bank or right. the zero interest bearing, say, or 0.01% bearing savings account. You need to make it grow. Um, what do you like when you see somebody who's good at investing? Like, you, what is, what is she doing? What, what does that mean to you? It, it is not rocket science. It means, that she is contributing regularly to a accounts for various goals, right? Could be college, could be retirement, could be other things. She has selected a portfolio of investments, you know, which can be as simple as one target date fund that's, that's set up to uh, set up on a, on a glide path to, um, mature about the time that she wants to retire. And she's watching what she's doing that. I mean, that's it, right? So you it's just, not about having a million complex, uh, schemes going on at once, No, which I feel like there's pressure towards that. Yeah, no, not at all. And I, I think if you, if you've got, if you haven't done any of this sort of planning and you're thinking, well, I know I'm making money, but I don't know if I'm putting it away in the right places and the right accounts. I don't know what I should be doing with my next dollar. Sometimes, sometimes that's, that's the question that, that I get asked. Sitting down with a financial advisor and, and making a plan, just saying, these are, these are my goals. In other words, this is what I think I want five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now in my life. The planning process, people think it's all about the numbers and it has to start with the numbers. It doesn't start with the numbers at all. It starts with, this is how I want to live. This is, can this you, is my vision for how I want to live. And then you back you into it. on finding a financial advisor and yeah. the difference between fee for service and, and those that take a cut of, of, of profits? There's so many different ways that advisors get paid these days. So when you're looking for, uh, my preference is for a holistic financial advisor, somebody who will not just look at your investments, but who will look at your taxes and your real estate and your, your estate goals and just look at your whole life and say, this is, this is, th- these are the steps that you need to take to get this overall life in, into shape. You can find, uh, financial advisors like this in, in a number of ways. I like to start by just asking for recommendations. Sometimes if you 
know people, particularly if you have colleagues who are, who are in similar lines of work, they can be a good source of advisors because that advisor will already be familiar with your company's retirement plan. And, and that sometimes takes a little getting up to speed on and, and that can be helpful. But there tend to be financial advisors who specialize in working with physicians or who specialize in, in working with lawyers or and and you're right they get paid in a lot of different ways these days there are advisors who will charge you a fee by the hour there's some who will charge you a fee for the plan there's some who charge a monthly fee these days there's a whole network for millennials called Gen XY planning and and they generally charge a monthly fee there are a lot of wealth managers, quote unquote, who charge a percentage of assets under management, generally around 1%, although it tends to be a sliding scale and it, it goes down as you have more assets with that manager. And then there's still some people who work under the old brokerage commission model where they earn money for selling you particular investments. And the easiest thing to try to do is to get a grip on what this relationship is going to cost you in dollar terms over over the course of a year so that you can compare apples to apples. Uh, there are a lot of uh, experts who say you should only have a fee-only advisor. I, I don't really go for that because I don't think, I don't think there are enough that you know, if you want one in your area, you should, you should figure out who's the best advisor overall and then figure out, are they being paid fairly? And what else? Beyond checking, uh, beyond checking references, beyond doing a check, uh, with FINRA's broker check tool, which will uh, give you a bit of a background check. Um, you, you want to know, are they a fiduciary? Which means, are they acting with your best interest in mind at all times? That's a very, very important question. And you want to know how you feel having a conversation with them. My, my litmus test when I first talk to a planner is to pay very careful attention to who's talking and who's listening. <laughs> because if, if they are doing all the talking, then there's no way for them to know who you are or what you want from your life. And that's not a good way to, that's not a good way for them to service your needs. Yeah. And I'd also add that investing has gotten a lot more user-friendly um, mm -hmm. in the past few decades. I mean, certainly the rise of index funds. I mean, that you were mentioning, you could just have a target fund as well, or you can, and it, index funds are very easy, very low cost. Um, so then you don't have to think about, oh, what's the hot stock, which you shouldn't be thinking about anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, and all of the discount brokerages, you know, the Fidelities, the Vanguards of the world uh, will, will, you know, sell you index funds for a very low amount and you can check in on it every year or two and you're on autopilot, but you're growing instead of losing money to inflation. So, yeah, that's been a really cool development. I wonder if we could pivot to your advice for talking with our kids about money, because people listening to this podcast tend to have children still at home. And, you know, many of us would like to have them be good stewards of money as well. Yep. Um, so, you know, what what are the things we should be teaching and what are some practical things we can do with that? 
I, I just finished working on a piece about um, talking to your kids about paying for college. So maybe that's the reverse order, but let's start there. Parents, I think, need to be a lot more upfront, especially if your kids are going to be expected to borrow for college, about who's paying for college, how much is there for college. What we're starting to hear from kids who are coming out is that they really wish they had understood a lot more about their student loans ahead of time, that they would have made different choices about where to go to college, that they would have picked a school that maybe offered them more aid or just cost less in general because they didn't understand the burden on their adult life that would be required to service these student loans. And so if, you know, if you've got a kid and, and these conversations should really begin in middle school, you know, middle school, high school, they should be had on an ongoing basis. Think about what your kids can do to make themselves attractive to various colleges, you know, getting good grades and, and, and maintaining certain activities as well as, you know, this is how much there is. The rest is going to be coming from you. And let's talk about the best way to put this together so that when you graduate, you're not feeling burdened. I mean, even just some simple numbers for every $20,000 that you borrow, it's going to cost about $270 a month to pay that back for 10 years. And a lot of kids are borrowing double that, which means $500 off the top of your paycheck after tax is just going for student loans. What does that mean? Does that mean you can't move out of the house? Does it mean you, you know, and, and what can we do to minimize that going in? Yeah, that's a great conversation to be having. Um, and, and how about for younger kids? What are some of the things that we can be talking about? I, I think the big message to get across to younger kids is that money is limited and you have to choose how to use your money, which I know sounds really kind of simplistic, but it's a lesson that doesn't often get transferred. Allowance is a really, really good teaching tool for this, but you have to give an allowance with a list of things that you're not going to buy anymore and that kids have to buy for themselves using their limited resources. I also think it's important for teenagers to work and earn their own money. I, I've got two kids and I, I had the experience with both of them of them waking up when they first started babysitting and realizing that the $10 an hour that they earned was so much more valuable than the $10 that they got as an allowance or in a birthday gift. Cause all of a sudden they associated it with their time. All of a sudden it was, oh, I, you know, I, I earned this and maybe I'm not going to spend it so quickly. That's a good Absolutely. thing to know. <laughs> do, you, do you recommend talking um, specifics with your, like my kids have developed a new fascination with, oh, what is this cost? And what is this cost? And it, when I was growing up, we never used numbers, which is actually very interesting because I had a very frugal family and upbringing, but I've just been like, it costs this. Your soccer costs this much. So you have to go or, you know, you're going to owe me this or whatever. Um, is there any reason not to just come out with it? I mean, I kind of do coach them so. that this is not like playground conversation, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't think 
I, I think it's fine. If, if they're curious to know what things, know what things cost, I think that that's fine to share. There are some kids who will ask, you know, how much you make. That's a personal decision about whether or not you want to share it. You certainly don't want that to be playground conversation, no. but I, I think it's okay. I think, I think much like we teach kids price comparison, you know, they, it, it's helpful for them to understand what things cost as you go through life and you explain that you're choosing to use your resources in, in one way or another. You know, the, the, the argument that, the argument that you can't afford it when you can afford it doesn't wash with kids, right? They know, they know better. They know if you've got money to go out to dinner. They know if you've got money to go on vacation. They, they know. But, you can explain that when they ask, you know, why their friend's family is going on a vacation at, at Christmas time and you're not, that you are choosing to do something else. You know, we can't do everything. So we choose to do this. We choose to put more money away for college. We choose to, we chose to renovate the kitchen so that we'd all have a, you know, whatever, whatever the choices happen to be. You can explain, you, you can explain to them that it's, it's choice and that as they get older, just as they do with their own money today, they'll have to make bigger choices. Well, this is wonderful. Well, Jean, this has been great advice. We always ask our guests to give us one, we call it a love of the week. So this is just something in your life that is cool at the moment. Um, it can be financial. Uh, it can be, you know, a financial product or service or app or whatever. It could also be completely different. We hear coffee a lot. Um, <laughs> so we can go first just to, uh, you know, help with that. So Sarah, what, what's your love of the week? Oh, I forgot that I had to say it in front of her. Um, well, I, <laughs> I, I was a years long YNAB user and I still really like it, but one of my listeners suggested I try every dollar cause I didn't want to pay for the paid YNAB. And every dollar is free and does much of what YNAB did. And I'm very happy with it. So it's my love of the week. Yeah. You know, I've been really loving, uh, it's going to sound like a financial nerd here, but um, VT, which I think is, you know, the total world index fund. But <laughs> um, I've been uh, buying. Not a tip. Not a tip. But, uh, you know, there's there's IVV, which is like the S&P 500, I think, um, you know, which is a heavy portfolio component for me. But then, you know, you try to get the whole world. Um, so I've been, uh, as I've been uh, rebalancing my portfolio the past few weeks, I've been looking more at that one. Okay. And for me, I've got, I think this week I'm loving Robinhood snacks. And Robinhood is a, is a financial site, financial app, but they have a really wonderful newsletter that comes out every morning. And it is, it digs into the earnings on various companies. It, they do, they do it in a very entertaining way. And I'm, um, you know, for a while I was sort of not opening it every day, but these days I find that I am. So there you go. Wonderful. Well, listeners, please check out Jean's podcast, uh, Her Money, and also her new book, Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve for, for more of her wonderful advice. So Jean, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. And this week's listener question is, is somewhat financially related. She says, how do you prioritize spending money in an ethical way that also works for your a family? 
So pre-kids, this listener says, they had more disposable income and more time. And so they'd try to buy what seemed like the right consumer choice with sustainably sourced products where possible, with lots more time for researching these things, shopping in person if that was necessary. They also donated a certain percentage of their income to charitable causes. Now that they have children, of course, their costs have increased and they seem to have less time. Um, So the charitable donations have become more haphazard and they are not putting as much time and effort into researching and choosing products that might be whatever ethical standards they have, have maybe had in the past. Now, we justify this, she says, as the time saved enables us to exercise, sleep, spend more time with our children, et cetera. And there are always going to be trade-offs with time and money and consumer choices. But I am interested in your perspectives regarding this. You know, what do you think about ethical spending and philanthropy and what that means when you have small children? My answer, and I mean, the, I think this person you know, much like we talk about, if you're listening to parenting podcasts and reading parenting books, you're probably already doing better than just sort of the average person. So you should probably give yourself credit for even thinking in this direction. But this to me is such a shades of gray thing. And we should be very careful not to make it black and white. Like you're not, nobody's going to be able to get every single product from an ethically sourced local merchant. And even if they did, then they'd probably find out that one of them had political views that they were against. You know, it's impossible to be like perfect in this realm. So I guess my thought is to just probably there's not as much of a reason to beat yourself up about your choices, particularly at this stage of life. And it may be that you're right, that this is time that's saved, that enables you at this time to just keep things more simple. But you also might think about like if you are investing those dollars for later, though that money is growing and if the market does poorly, then it's what you're going to retire on. But if the market does well, then wow, you have like amazing philanthropy options down the road. So I guess I don't think it's necessarily terrible not to be giving a huge set amount right now if things are a little bit tighter and you want to make sure that your future is taken care of and your your children are taken care of. So yeah, Um, I also mentioned that, uh, you know, you might want to think about what you're doing with time and you might not have very much disposable time now, but that may change. So your philanthropy plan doesn't necessarily always have to be a certain percentage every month. It might be participating in something that's related to your industry. Like I went to a free clinic last weekend with my residents and it was fantastic. And that's something I can see myself doing more of later on when my kids are older. And if you think about your hourly rate, if you are a professional, which you are, then that may be a a fantastic donation. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were doing like free physicals for kids for, for school, yes. right? I mean, that's that's a wonderful thing for you to do and that you are uniquely positioned to do. Um, and that's that's probably better for the world than Sarah taking the same amount of time to research the exact you know supply chain of all the things that, that she is purchasing. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to say, I, I'm probably not putting too much thought into this. There are certain things I do. We've talked in the past about my um, you know, with the hungry harvest box, like trying to reduce some food waste in terms of make creating a secondary market for food that might go to waste. You know, we certainly are giving some money currently to causes that we think are interesting, and we are trying to figure out long term what this is going to look like. It's it's fun to do stuff that when it's bigger that it's more targeted. So, for instance, we gave a scholarship to Texas A and M because that is where my husband went for college, and he went on a scholarship, and so he kind of felt like he owed it to them to pay that back. And so we have. Um, and I think that that was a great uh, choice of things to do. We've put some money into, um, my old choir has a 
commissioning program going on that they commission new music. And I'm very happy to support that because I like the idea of new choral music coming into the world. And so that's something we're doing. And, you know, these are the kind of things I want to think about over time. I think if this is something that is not huge for you right now, if there is some community organization that you are part of, that you are spending a lot of time with, that might be a good choice for your dollars just because you're there. I mean, you're seeing what it's doing. You know, it's doing good things. Um, so you don't have to do you know a ton of research on that. So that might be your house of worship, or it might be a local volunteer organization, um, something related to, to children in your community that you can see what they're doing. Uh, but you can sort of target on that for now and know that over time, you might be able to think more about this as you get out of the little kid stage. Well, so this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been talking money. We had Jane Chatsky on, and we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 